like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Did you folks happen to hear my visit a few months back with Billy Jonas? Well, you see, when I was talking to Billy, who was Jewish, he mentioned that he sometimes plays as part of this thing called Abraham Jam, which is evidently the brainchild of David Lamott, today's Song of the Soul guest. You see how this goes? One excellent and inspirational musician leads to another. And David Lamott has not only produced 12 CDs of music, he's written two books, including his recent World Changing 101, but more about that later. The point is, he makes great music with great words, great energy for the world, and David Lamott joins us by phone today from North Carolina. David, this has been long anticipated. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Thanks so much, Mark. Really delighted to be here. And, you know, I've had to squeeze you in. You've been doing some Abraham Jam presentations recently, and we're going to talk about those pretty soon. But tell folks about Abraham Jam, which is really what led me to you. It's a delightful project. We've really been having a lot of fun. I just got back from a couple of shows with that band in Virginia and then flew down to Jacksonville for the weekend to do some solo things. But yeah, so this is a band that's made up of a Christian and a Jew and a Muslim. And we're playing music together as a band, not just taking turns, but supporting each other and trying to create something synergistic with one representative of each of the Abrahamic faiths. But we're all also long-time professional musicians with 20-plus-year careers doing our own thing. So it's really good music. <laughs> so that really makes it fun. I think it's a cool concept, but it's also the music is really compelling, I think. And Billy Jonas is the Jew I identified in your group. I think you're identified as the Christian. Is that a name that you wear regularly? So I'm a musician, and I do claim being a Christian, but I'm not a Christian musician. And I'm, and I'm careful about claiming, I prefer to claim that title if I have time to then explain what that means, or at least what it doesn't mean, because so much of that is associated culturally in the U.S. with judgment and exclusion and anger, sadly. And I think those are all things that are antithetical to the faith that I hold, but when people ask me about my faith tradition, I generally tell them that I'm a Quakertarian, got one foot in the Quaker tradition and one in the Presbyterian tradition. My um, father and my grandfather and my sister are all Presbyterian pastors, and I've been a Quaker for 20-some years. A Quakertarian. I haven't heard that before. I've heard Quackalix <laughs> before. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that one. 
And since you're living in North Carolina, there's at least a few different varieties of Quaker in your area. There's what are called conservative Quakers, which are not necessarily conservative politically, but holding to the original Quaker ways. There's Friends United Meeting, which are programmed. And then there's this other, the same, uh, the the other kind of Quaker more that I attend to associate with, the unprogrammed meeting, that kind of thing. Which groups have you traveled amongst? I really have only been among the unprogrammed friends. I know some folks who have been part of FUM and some other affiliations like that, but really my meaningful exposure to Quakerism has been through the same uh, unprogrammed sort of friends. So I, I love the little line where someone walks into a Quaker meeting and looks around and says, wow, you've eliminated clergy. And the Quaker leans back over and says, no, we've eliminated laity. Yeah, we're all there. And clearly you have a kind of a... There's a message that you want to convey. You do it when you get up there. Have you always been a a message-driven folk singer? Well, it's interesting. You know, that's a very fine line. A lot of my songs are not messagey, and some of them are, but even the ones that are messagey, I try to not clobber people over the head with my own views of things. I like to ask questions that matter in songs rather than offering answers, because that feels like it has more integrity to me. I certainly don't have all the answers. And it seems very Quakerly, doesn't it? Ask questions. Queries, it's the way we do it, right? Yeah, it's it's really song queries, that kind of work. So in the same way that I said that I'm a Christian and a musician, but I'm not a Christian musician, I'm also an activist and a musician, but I'm not an activist musician. So if you started out Presbyterian, somehow you got hooked up with these Quaker folks, what was that transition about? What what was that movement about? And the activism, I'm just trying to get a picture of your life, because uh, now that I've read your recent book, World Changing 101, I have a lot of views about you, but I still don't have a chronology. <laughs> well, yeah, I wanted that book to not really be a memoir, but to be arguing for some certain ideas and supporting that with stories, sometimes from my own experience and sometimes from other people's. So, it, yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot of chronology in it. I grew up until I was about 15. I lived in Sarasota, Florida. My family moved to Virginia. At that point, I was there for several years, went to college in Virginia. And in high school, my mom had this group of friends, women friends that she hung out with, who were all sort of peace activists and engaged in various different social justice efforts. They were fascinating women. All of them were really extraordinary people, and many still are. We've lost a couple of them, but... One of them was a woman named Susie Fetter, and Susie and Bob were heavily involved in Quaker things uh, nationally and internationally, but Susie had a, a fused spine due to a crippling form of arthritis that she struggled with, and it left her in, in constant pain, and you would never know it. She was this extraordinarily energetic and enthusiastic woman who was always working for the betterment of the world around her, and she just really impressed me as a human being, and she was a Quaker. I asked my mom, so what is that? You know, what does that even mean? And she said, well, you should ask Susie and find out more about it. And so I did, but it was it was kind of one of those things, you know how sometimes something shows up in your life and then you turn a different direction, it shows up there too, and you turn a different direction and it's there as well. I was getting more involved in peace work, and of course the Quakers show up a lot in peace work, and I was reading an old James Michener novel called Chesapeake at the same time, and there's a Quaker thread through that novel. And so all these things, you know, I, I kept feeling like I was getting these little nudges to look into this. And the more I did, the more I felt like this is, these are my people, you know, this is my tribe. This is kind of what I've always believed, and I didn't know that there was a group of folks who believed this. 
And did this get you in hot water with your Presbyterian lineage? Not at all. Actually, my folks are really deep-thinking, compassionate, open folks, and they, they were thrilled that I was digging deep and really loved the fact that I was engaging with these questions that matter a great deal to them. And what about your history with music? So I got a little bit of your spiritual background. What about your history with music? You got activism in there. Which came first, the chicken or the egg or the activism <laughs> or the music? Or? <laughs> uh, it's always kind of been sort of mixed up in there together. My folks were pretty plugged in. Dad went to Central America in the 80s on a fact-finding trip and got engaged in speaking out against U.S. intervention in Nicaragua and El Salvador and various places there, in Guatemala and such. And my mom was working on peace issues, anti-nuke kind of stuff, and she went to the ribbon demonstration in D.C. that you may be aware of when they all these women made yard-long patches of cloth with messages on them, and then they tied them all together and they wrapped it all the way around the Pentagon more than once, as, as I recall. And so I was being plugged in to things that mattered by them as a young man. And when I got to college, I got into mediation, and I started studying that and volunteering at the local mediation center there in Harrisonburg. And, you know, got really enamored with the idea that peace, that we have better ways to do conflict than the ways that we generally go to. That's not about judgment, again, of folks who choose other paths, but it is teachable. We can learn better ways to do conflict. That was so exciting to me, and it was so empirically demonstrable that this works better. People are so much happier when they come out of mediated conflicts than when they come out of litigated conflicts. Even when they win in the litigated conflicts, folks are largely unhappy with the outcome. And so I was really passionate about that in college. But I had gotten my first guitar when I was 15, and I had been playing in my room for years, rarely playing in front of anybody. In college, began to play out a little bit in cafes and such, and I was kind of blown away to realize that these songs actually meant something to some other people besides me. Folks were connecting with these songs, and that just amazed me. And it was incredible to sit there and play songs for people for a few hours, and then they gave me money at the end of the night. <laughs> I just thought, wow. That's just you know, like, how does it get better than that? And so here I was with these two really unlikely career paths, and I chose the even more unlikely of the two. So after college, I began to play out more and more, and the concentric circles grew wider and wider, and I ended up playing all over the world. And music has been really, really good to me. It's really been my primary career now for 26 years. And you've produced, I count, some 12 CDs of music. That's a lot of music, because I'm sure there's a lot that you haven't recorded as well. Why don't you give folks a sample of the kind of music that's flowed out of you? Why don't we start with Taste the Light? Okay, Taste the Light. Now, not everybody will understand how light is tasteable, but... <laughs> and light, I mean, you've already said, you know, you're Quaker. And since I'm Quaker, I'm very aware that this metaphor for the divine, for the the bigger thing, the light, is really common. That's what you're talking about here, right? Yeah, we use that metaphor a great deal in Quaker thought and practice, for sure. Well, it's the beautiful thing about art that you can throw out a term like that and people can read into it whatever their experience is. My favorite art kind of leaves room for the story of the listener and isn't consumed with the story of the teller. And so, yeah, I think it can mean all of that for sure. 
And you're going to taste the light. Now, a lot of people, unless their synapses are attached in different ways than other people, aren't going to talk about tasting the light. And again, is that just your poetic license? So yeah, I've probably got a few points on my artistic license, but they haven't revoked it altogether yet. I am playing a little bit with synesthesia in that song, you know, where you taste the light and you lay your cheek against the song, which is literally a hard thing to do, but actually kind of makes sense to me in terms of how I relate to music. To be held by music and comforted by it in an almost physical way is not too much of a stretch for me. So yeah, I am playing with those images a bit. Folks, let's listen to some of David Lamott's music right away. We'll start off with one called Taste the Light. Here it is. Feel it percolating as the drums build up here. Tear. 
standing in this circle here. Open wide and taste the light. Falling from the stars tonight. This cannot be quantified. Open wide. me folks that you were tasting the light that is the song taste the light by david lamott it's from his latest release it's called the other way round back in 2014 he put that out david lamott is my guest and his website is davidlamott.com lamott is l-a-m-o-t-t-e you have any problem spelling come via nordenspiritradio.org and you'll find it Taste the Light is the first one we started off with. There's some really interesting drums that you start off with. Uh, I think probably several different sorts of drums, it felt like to me. Who's playing with you? Who's part of your musical group there? Yeah, it was an extraordinary lineup of musicians. There were actually musicians from every headed continent on the record. Nobody from Antarctica, but every other continent we've got. And so on this song alone, there was a lovely cellist named Sarah Moore but the percussion was done by River Gregarian, who played Udu and various other kinds of percussion. And then Tom Prasada Rao played tambourine on it. There's a Ugandan musician named Chinobe who played an instrument called a nakogo, which is a kind of kalimba. It's a kind of thumb piano. My folks actually lived in the Congo in the early 60s, and so I grew up with a bunch of African stuff around the house. And I had this little thumb piano that I used to play with as a child, and I've always loved that sound. I go by the local 10,000 Villages store here where they have fair trade work from all around the world, and I'll sit in there sometimes and just tune all their kalimbas just for fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I really like that sound a lot, so it was a pleasure to work with these folks. Well, it's kind of delightful that you've woven so much of the world together, along with all these different metaphors of touching this divine stuff. You know, drink the notes like drops of wine or feeling the heartbeat of the drum or standing in a circle. All those things that you're doing in that song, you're in part bringing the world together so you have access to all of that. Yeah, one of the sort of thoughts that I've been sort of hanging my life on lately is the idea that harmony is more interesting to me than unity. Unity is when we're all singing the same note and harmony is when we're singing different notes and they're beautiful together. And I've become increasingly fascinated by how we can combine our differences to make things that are beautiful without taking away the difference. You know, it's not about assimilation and all the cultural struggles we're having now. It's about finding ways to create something good together. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was reaching toward, and I'm glad that you can read my mind better than I can, that tasting the light, it does seem something like a potluck experience of the richness, which, of course, is, as you said, harmony. 
a good potluck is harmony, and of course that's uh, the most important of the Quaker sacraments, since we don't practice <laughs> the right. sacraments right. the same way. Yep, the Holy Bible. Yeah. You mentioned already when we were talking earlier about playing in smoky bars, and because the society has changed, there's fewer smoky bars than I think there used Thankfully. to be. <laughs> <laughs> An airplane, but, you remember but, that? Goodness gracious, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, but I think that there's this different receptivity to a certain kind of music that's playing in a smoky bar than the music you're playing now. I can't imagine you taking the song, Taste the Light, and playing it in a smoky bar. Well, actually, my very first CD, not my first album, that was on cassette only, but the second album, which was the first one I put on CD, is called In the Light. And the title track for that album was a song called In the Light that was trying to touch on the mystery of music almost as a form of prayer, but not a spoken prayer, you know, just a lived prayer. You know, I've always been so deeply grateful when people take the time to listen, especially in settings like that, when it's not the norm. Well, it is the norm here today for Song of the Soul, which is what you're listening to, folks. It is a Northern Spirit Radio production, website northernspiritradio.org. On that site, you find more than 12 years of our programs for your free listening and download, and you'll find links to our guests, more information about them, the song list, etc. David Lamott is our guest today, and if you don't know how to spell Lamott, which is L-A-M-O-T-T-E, davidlamott.com you can come by nordenspiritradio.org and find David also on the site you'll find a place to post comments David just commented about the importance of listening and we do want to be listening to you so you can help us with that by posting a comment when you visit there's also a place to donate this is full time work and the only way we're supported is by listener donations and so if you click donate when you come you'll make all the difference to us even more important though I'd say is to make sure you support your local media and specifically your local community radio stations there's some third two stations nationwide that carry our programs now. They can only function because you make that local voice possible. So start by supporting them. And then if you've got shekels left, come on to nordenspiritradio.org. David Lamott is with us here today for Song of the Soul. He hails from the area of Black Mountain, North Carolina, or somewhere very close to that. Are you actually in town? Yeah, I sure am. I'm in Black Mountain. So North Carolina is where you're situated, and you mentioned a little bit about Florida and up in Virginia, where you lived along the way. That's not a tremendous range. You've never been tempted to move up to Wisconsin? I love visiting Wisconsin, but yeah, I'm sort of a southern boy. Just can't help myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you southern boys have such good music and such thoughtfulness that you can put into them. I want to hear more of it, so why don't you share another song, David? All right, let's play Water. Okay, and what's your connection with water? Well, I suppose everybody's got a pretty intimate connection with water, given that we're mostly made of it. And I think the I, I don't want to speak too much for the song. I want it to speak for itself. But there are metaphors there as well as very literal statements. I actually set out when I wrote this song to write a song about coastal development in Florida, where I grew up, where they put these huge buildings right next to this water on the sand and then are surprised when hurricanes come through and the sand washes away. We've been getting advice about building 
buildings on sand for a really long time, at least a couple thousand years. <laughs> and, you know, it's just not a good idea, but folks continue to do it. And I kind of thought I was writing a song about that, sort of raised that question a little bit. But the song very quickly went in other directions, and it ended up, I guess, for me, being a song as much as anything about grieving. And the song is Water by David Lamont. So I built this shiny hotel Where the water meets the land They smiled a little nervously As the ocean took the sand They went down below the shoreline And they hauled it back again But the heavy rain and the hurricane And the water's gonna win The water's gonna win Bring it all back It will wash away again The water's gonna win Pack it up or pack it in The water's gonna win Glass of water you were sipping As you watched the morning come It's quenched the thirst of seven others Underneath the younger sun We are memories and moments We are born and born again We are rushing the stream And breathing the steam And the water's gonna win The water's gonna win Ascending and falling And rising up again The water's gonna win Ride the tide and ride the wind Sign the papers for another glass of gin. Cut the ribbon with the scissors, but the water's gonna win.
There are pretty literally hundreds of gems of songs that David Lamott has produced. That was one of them. It's called Water. It's from his recording Spin. And you said, David, right before we went into the song, that it's mainly about grieving. And I had wondered when I first heard the song that, you know, the water's going to win. The water's going to win. There was almost a triumphant feel, I thought, about that. But that's really about, hey, folks, come on, we're going to be grieving. Water's going to win? I'm not sure. Yeah, so I am coming at water from a lot of different angles in the song. But where it lands, the last line, the last verse, it says, you went down beside the river just about a year ago, gave the ashes to the current, watched them swirl into the flow. You still hold it all inside you. You can't stop once you begin. Close your eyes and feel it rising. The water's going to win. So those tears are going to get out, and they need to let them. It's kind of where it lands. The song's raising a lot of pretty heavy questions, and it's zooming the lens out pretty wide, looking at the motion of water around the world. I remember in my high school chemistry class, our chemistry teacher stumping us by saying, So what's the universal solvent? And we didn't know. We thought it must be some crazy (laughs) acid, you know, and water is the one thing that everything will eventually dissolve in. It it does win in the end. And if we're all made of water, and if water connects the whole planet, you know, there aren't seven seas, there's one. They're all connected. And that water rises through the air, and it comes in through our lungs, and it's in everything. If we're that connected, then then maybe that connection is going to win. And maybe... It's okay to feel the things that we're going to feel, but not lose hope entirely. I did experience the very deep currents of the song, David, but I also saw some playfulness in there that I'm not sure it jumped out at everybody. Rock, paper, scissors. You caught that, yeah. Almost nobody catches that. (laughs) Really? They don't catch it. I occasionally do the song as a poem, and when I do it as a poem, I actually do the rock, paper, scissors motions with my hands subtly while I'm reciting the poem and then people catch it and it's interesting because very often people who have heard the song for years and then hear it as a poem will say oh i never caught that afterwards but yeah i was playing with that in the bridge haul the rocks and sign the papers pour another glass of gin cut the ribbon with the scissors but the water's going to win and there's a reason that water isn't part of the game rock paper scissors because water wins against all three (laughs) right like you couldn't put that in the game so, yeah, a bit of playfulness, too. And you, I mean, each of us, I think, has a mixture of personality which can be identified with one of the elements, you know, air, earth, fire, water. What's your connection in those elements? Do you have a sense? Are you an airy person up in the air? Or My wife is definitely that. I tend to be pretty earthy. Yeah, I, you know, that's really hard to say. I find perhaps the water the most appealing of the whole bunch. But I think that we all move between them as well. Just like a conversation moves through the stages of being superficial and going deep, and after we've been deep for a while, humor is our natural next step. It always comes out. So that that's certainly present in songs as well. There are so many songs that you could have picked for sharing for your song of the soul, David. And yet, Water and Taste the Light are two of them that you chose. 
Could you tell me about something that you didn't choose? Is there something you avoided? Was it, There's some character about these that made these the ones that fit. I figured it would be a really tough job for you to sub-select down to the 20 or so minutes we get in this show. It was really hard to narrow it down. So many different options and ways to go there. And I decided that I needed to trust my first instincts. So I scribbled down the first four songs that came to mind, and I kind of looked over my catalog, but decided to hold with those four. And given that it's Song of the Soul that we're talking about, that question of soul, where am I really addressing that? These were the songs that popped up, and they felt like the most artful treatments of those questions. There's some other songs where I touch on that, and some of them are a little more direct. But these felt like songs that have held up for me over the years. Well, you've left me thirsty for another glass of soul, so how about another song to quench my thirst? Great. Let's go with spirit. Let's go with spirit. That sounds like a prayer you could give from the altar. Let's go with spirit, spirit. people. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good plan. (laughs) Tell me a bit about spirit. It's one of my more abstract songs out of my whole career. I'm moved that my friend Chris Rosser recorded a beautiful version of it a few years after I recorded it. It's a song about wrestling. You know, it's about sort of looking for God when God isn't there or you can't perceive God being there. And the word God is so loaded. But looking for that presence and that comfort when you can't find it. So, yeah, that's really where I was coming from. And you use the phrase regularly in it. You know, it's right there on the tip of my spirit. Most people would say tongue. And some reason you were comfortable in substituting spirit instead of tongue. That's the beauty of cliches, actually. You know, your high school English teacher will tell you never to use a cliche. Later, you learn that cliches are awesome if you can twist them, if you can change their meaning. Cliches, of course, lose power because they're completely worn out. But if you then challenge them with another take on what this actually means, then they gain power because people have such a strong expectation about what that is going to mean. And when you deny it, that shifts everything. And so when Bob Dylan says that doing this and doing that is not my cup of meat. Yeah, there you go. Right, exactly. Yeah, I had fun in another song. I have a song called Deadline, and the sort of hook line in that song that it keeps returning to is, there's no time like the present, and there's no present like time. Well, Spirit is the song, folks. It's from David Lamott's recording, Spin. Here's Spirit. Let's center down. And the clock and the 
For Song of the Soul today, our guest is David Lamott. He's got a wealth of recordings out there and a couple books. And very soon, we're going to have him on Spirit in Action, sharing some about his most recent book, World Changing 101, and another book that he's created called White Flower. Just let you know that you'll be able to hear a bit more from David about the complexity, the intricacies, the depth of his path when we have him on Spirit in Action. That song was Spirit. It is from Spin, and it's got such wonderful guitar lead in there, and another instrument. It sounded kind of like a sitar or something to me. Yeah, good ear. It's actually a dotar, which is the the folk version of a sitar. Sitar is a classical instrument. Dotar is a folk version. It's a bit smaller. Wow, I'm glad I even got that close. I do international folk dance, so I do listen to a lot of music from around the globe. And, you know, I hear an oud, and I go, that sounds like an oud, and I... I really know very little about music in spite of the fact I've been doing this Song of the Soul program for so many years. Who were you bringing in to provide this richness, or do you know how to play a dotar? A wood that I did. That was my friend Chris Rosser, who's an extraordinary musician and also has produced and engineered several of my records. He's just a brilliant musician in every way. He's six foot seven, and the most unintimidating, most delightful, warm, friendly guy you'd ever meet in your life. He's Baha'i and brings that lovely kindness that seems to flow through most of the Baha'is I've known in my life right into the studio. And as I experienced the song, you know, I sat and listened to your songs regularly before I even got on the air. But as I'm sitting listening to it, you know what I experienced? This is one classic description of meeting for worship as we practice it amongst Quakers. The other person who seems to have these very diverse songs, songs that seem focused elsewhere, but they seem to be describing various experiences I've had of what we call worship in the Quaker way. How close does this fit for you, something you might experience while sitting there in the Quaker circle? Yeah, that rings really true to me, Mark. I I resonate with that. This friend speaks my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Most of our listeners out there, you folks, you know you don't speak Quakerese, and I don't mean to go into a foreign dialect (laughs) here, but here I am. (laughs) Well, you know, we're going to have more music of yours, I think, when you're back sharing about World Changing 101, but I would like to share one more song today before we go off the air. What can we conclude with, David? Let's do Just One Candle, which is the final track on my most recent album, so I guess it's my most recent song. And the phrase comes from? It comes from Francis of Assisi. I, I got to co-write this song with Francis. He was delightful to work with. He wrote the choruses, and I, and I wrote the verses. <laughs> <laughs> so in what context was he sharing this phrase all the darkness in the world can't extinguish the light of just one candle what was the context he was sharing that in? well i don't honestly know in terms of the cultural context and the time and place in which he was writing but i think he was trying to make the argument that small efforts are worthwhile and that despair isn't the way we need to go You probably won't get a complete argument from anyone in our audience about that. But there's also something kind of inherently optimistic in observing that. Maybe it's just realistic. Where do you count yourself? Yeah, I I wouldn't say optimistic. I would say hopeful. 
which is, for me, in my own lexicon, a different thing. Optimism, for me, is prognostication. It's looking at the odds of things coming out okay and deciding that things will probably be okay. And I don't always feel optimistic. But hope, I love the words of Václav Havel about hope. He said, hope is not prognostication. It is an orientation of the spirit that we point ourselves in a certain direction regardless of the odds, sometimes in spite of the odds rather than because of them. And that's the thing about hope and despair. When we give in to despair, which is tempting, you know, I certainly feel that way some days, but when we predicate our actions on that, it's self-fulfilling. You know, if you're pretty sure things are all going to go to hell and you make that assumption and don't try, then you're probably going to prove yourself right. And if we make an effort, if we try to act out of hope and try to work for things to go in a better direction, then sometimes they do. Not always, but sometimes. So I cling to hope as an active choice. I, I think hope is another distinction for me. Optimism is passive, but hope is active. And to set the stage for this song, we should mention it's about you visiting to Sarah Havel. Yeah, it's actually out of two stories interweave in this song. I was in Sarajevo in 2000, very shortly after the war had kind of been tamped down by the UN troops. And the tension was palpable and the destruction was everywhere and there were lots of amputees making their way through the city. It was just a really, really tough time there. And I did not write a song about that for many, many years. And then just a few years ago, I, I lost a friend in Guatemala who, or rather, I was in Guatemala. She died here in the U.S. and I got word and she was very young and such a bright light. And she, honestly, she went to the hospital with flu and just got sicker and sicker and died. And she was a healthy young person. So it was a very strange loss and really shocking, completely out of the blue. It was out of that sadness and my processing of that that I was able to kind of frame my earlier experience in Sarajevo. And I realized in recent years that I write a lot of songs that are hopeful, but in general, my hopeful songs tend to have really bleak things going on in them. And, <laughs> and that's not accidental. It's because I'm trying to defend a thicker understanding of what hope is because there's naive hope and there's deeper, broader, richer hope. Naive hope is easy to dismiss yeah, as naive and childish and unaware. But I think our narrative that, you know, sure, be hopeful while you're young and aware off when you experience the mean, cruel world and understand how rough it can be, that just doesn't hold up historically. If you look at the lives of people like Nelson Mandela or Dr. King, who were famous hope mongers, right? Are we saying that they were hopeful because they didn't understand how cruel the world could be? I just don't buy that. You know, Mandela needed a 28th year in prison. 27 just wasn't enough. I don't think so. I think he understood a lot about the darkness in the world, probably more than I ever will. And yet he understood something about the light as well. And that leaves me with a thicker, richer concept of what it means to be hopeful. And so I think that's what I'm trying to get at in these songs that I seem to keep writing from various angles about hope. And that seems like an excellent place to leave us. But folks, do recall, I will have David Lamott back for Spirit in Action. We'll be able to talk about some more of those thoughts, thoughts and like that, and many more that he presents in his book, World Changing 101. 
There is a link to davidlamott.com on nordenspiritradio.org. Just follow the link. You'll get to them. There's so many wretches. And if you ever get a chance to hear any version of the Abraham Jam, your life is going to be a richer place. So remember to keep those options in mind. We're going to finish with his song, Just One Candle. David, your books have already inspired me, lifted me up, given me hope that you were just talking about, and this song certainly does it for me too. I'm so thankful you took this time on this beautiful fall day to be with me here today for Song of the Soul. Thanks so much for the hospitality, Mark, and for the good work you're doing, putting good music in people's ears. And the last piece of good music we're going to put in your ears, listeners, is Just One Candle by David Lamott. My thanks go out to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's program. We'll see you all next week for Song of the Soul. Here it is, Just One Candle. The closest I've flown Till the face of a war Was in two Sarajevo On a wing and a prayer The bombs didn't fly From the hills anymore But the people were haunted There was fear in the air And the city was cratered From the shells and the rounds Like rain on a puddle like the face of the moon And they buried the bodies Till they filled up the ground In the grass on the highway They just ran out of room But the people have gathered in The middle of town With the songs they hold sacred Of a time coming soon From their different traditions they are singing the sound of their future together And they're singing in tune And all the darkness in the world Can't extinguish the light of just one candle All the darkness in the world Can't extinguish the light of just one candle That an old friend had died She was bright-eyed and laughing And gone far too young And my spirit and body fell Hollow inside And I wanted to cry out But no sound would come So I walked through the night In a dangerous town where the gunfire can sound like the 4th of July But by chance I looked up And the stars shining down Tore the wind from my lungs And the rain from my eyes Because just like my friend Those stars are long gone And that light has been shining For thousands of years so the light that we shine Seems to go on and on Like those rays cross the cosmos 
to refract through my tears and all the darkness in the world can't extinguish the light of just one candle. All the darkness in the world can't extinguish the light of just one candle. That the real world is heartless And that hope is for fools But I've watched for the sunrise And the truth is I've found It's not light that is fragile It's the other way round And all the darkness in the world Can't extinguish the light of just one candle Darkness in the world can't extinguish the light of just one candle. Believe me that all the darkness in the world can't extinguish the light of just one candle. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy Let in the light It will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song of the soul